are listening to Justice for All. Brought to you by the law offices of Scarpello and Latour. When things get tough, keep calm and call Scarpello and Latour. And now, from the Justice for All studios, here are your hosts, Josh Scarpello and Pierre Latour. Good evening and welcome back to Justice for All, a special NBA playoff edition. I'm Josh Scarpello with my my partner and host, co-host, Pierre Latour. Say hello, Pierre. Hello, everybody out there. Pierre is just, you know, you you may notice an extra uh, uh, you know, jump in his giddiness. step. He, he seems he's, he's certainly been more cheerful around the office the past couple days specifically in the past 24 hours, when his Boston Celtics eliminated my Philadelphia 76ers. And so today, on episode 21 of Justice for All, we are going to talk about the process and post-process, and is this the end, and where do we go from here, and what do we do now? And we're joined on Justice for All by... A very special guest, Ryan Rothstein. Ryan is a producer for Sirius XM Radio for the Tony Bruno Show on Sirius XM, as well as other platforms. He works with Tony um, and with Sirius through the Dan Patrick Show, and he's going to tell us all about what he does, and he's going to talk a little Sixers and Celtics with us, but we're very happy to have on our show Ryan Rothstein. Welcome to Justice for All. Thanks for joining us. Josh, Pierre, thanks for having me. You know, I got blindsided when I first came on here before we went. <laughs> I lost the millions and millions of your loyal listeners on Justice for All. But before we went live to you all here and recorded, I got blindsided that Pierre's a diehard Celtics fan. I mean, what is this, Josh? How, how do you allow this? We're experimenting with new formats here. Uh, we've heard that conflict really sells out there, so... Knowing that you are right. a Sixers through and through, and so Pierre is so so much the same for the Celtics. I, I just want I just want to say I know you guys are in deep mourning, obviously, since <laughs> Brett Brown was also let go yesterday, and I feel a little bit like I've wandered into a funeral. So I will I will be respectful as you guys stand over the body that was the Sixers and begin the post-mortem examination. Wow. I, I tell you, you can't get any more blunt than that, but I mean, that's really <laughs> what I want to talk about. I mean, I feel like I am at a wake, Ryan, and I know you and your, your ties to Philadelphia. Before we get start uh, to talk about the, the, uh, uh, the Sixers, tell us a little bit about the Tony Bruni, Bruno show and what you're doing working on Sirius XM radio. Yeah. I mean, out legend he just for 30 40 years and he was tony was actually a lot of people don't know this in 1995 maybe 96 the year might not be correct there but he was the first national espn radio morning show uh for espn tony bruno and mike golick uh dealt with some you know contract negotiations maybe some other things that that fell through there and he ended up not sticking that out for more than i think two years and then insert mike greenberg but what i'm getting at is tony's a legend and he's been doing this for a very long time so i'm the producer of that show but 
you know, Tony, Tony works best when he's, when you just let Tony be Tony. So <laughs> I have a pretty unique job and, you know, working for him, it's just, sometimes I'm just in awe. Like it's just playing with LeBron. I'm just in the corner. Like I'm J.R. Smith, like, ah, he can pass it <laughs> if he wants. If, if not, I'm, I'm good standing here and just watching him do his thing. But, um, it's an interesting transition and I won't bore everyone too long with, with my background. No, but Tony, you know, that is interesting for people in Philadelphia, Ryan, because Tony Bruno was a member of the original uh, morning team here. You referenced with Angelo Cataldi that is now in what? It's 30th year or so here. I mean, I know he's talking about retirement, Pierre, but they've been doing it forever. That shows you what a a legend Tony is. And Ryan gets the the, uh, opportunity to to plan his show and to get his guests and coordinate all that stuff. That must be fascinating. It is. I mean, every person you call, like his his guest list is just legend after legend. You know, Keith Olbermann. It's if there's anyone in the business, Tony has worked with him. Tony knows him. And you say, hey, I'm Ryan. I'm Tony Bruno's producer. It's ah, Tony, how's he doing? What times you want me on? You know, and and most show producers don't have that luxury. It's who the hell are you? Why are you calling? And no, I can't I can't come on your show. Um, So there's a lot of luxuries. There's a lot of you know, annoying little stressful stuff. But at the end of the day, Josh, you hit the nail on the head. I'm, I'm planning the show and on a national platform. So it's, uh, it's a lot of fun, man. Where can our listeners, where can our listeners find the Tony Bruno show or the Ryan Rothstein show as I, as I refer to it around here? (laughs) Yeah, no, that's either one works, Josh, but we're on Sirius XM, the Dan Patrick channel, which is channel two eleven on Sirius. And you can listen to that on the dial you can listen to that on the sirius xm mobile app we also have video version which i handle a lot of the production there uh on twitch.tv so that's t-w-i-t-c-h.tv slash tony bruno show and then real quick for me personally i'm i host a couple podcasts one extending the play which you can find on apple uh spotify youtube uh, just extending the play with Ryan Rothstein and then also the fix with Ryan Rothstein. And you can find that um, on my social channels, which is at Ryan Rothstein on Twitter. So it's a mouthful there, but I'm everywhere, man. It sounds like it. It sounds like it. Well, we're, we're happy to to have you here. We know you're busy working with Tony, Tony and talking sports. We wanted to bring you in here because of your background as a Sixers fan. And my first question for you on the topic um, about the process is is it over is it finally officially over with the firing of Brett Brown or has it been over Brian uh, you tell me right it's tough because here's my initial answer the process is over and it has nothing to do with Brett Brown being fired it has nothing to do with getting swept from the Boston Celtics as much as Pierre would like to you know have those two <laughs> things relate to one another um, it's Sam Hinkey was the process. Sam Hinkie came into the Philadelphia 76ers organization and had this radical idea that really no one has ever seen before. We have seen sports teams throughout history try and tank and lose intentionally. But what do they do? They sit their stars for a year, a half a season, and then the next year they try and get a high draft lottery pick, and they're right back at it. Sam Hinkie did this for essentially four seasons. All right, a full three, and, and I'll throw in a fourth. Um, that, that was never seen or done before, and it was never done successfully. I mean, Sam Hinkie successfully moved players, eliminated 
heavy contracts, created cap space, and one thing that he always used to phrase, acquiring assets. Acquiring assets, assets is yeah. draft picks. And Sam Hinkie, Sam Hinkie did that. He just loaded his pocket with first-round draft pick, and that's what he did. And once Sam Hinkie got ran out of town by Adam Silver in the NBA, then you insert Colangelo, the process is over. Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons are still here. So to wrap up my answer with this, the process will always sort of be lingering. Like, let's say the Sixers somehow come out of the mud that they're stuck in right now and win a championship in two to five years. Then I'm not going to argue with someone that says the process is complete because Joel Embiid is the process, right? right? He's like carrying on that hinky legacy. But for me, Elton Brand isn't doing the, you know, carrying out the process. Jerry Colangelo was brought in to do the exact opposite of what Sam Hinkie and the process was all about. So for people to sit here now and say the process is dead, dude, the process has been dead for years. That's how I look at it. It's Sam Hinkie and that's it. Well, Pierre, what do you think about that? We've had, uh, I know you, you're a big proponent of, of Hinkie and his, and his uh, dealings throughout the years. I mean, you, you must be happy that the process is dead, but did it die when Sam Hinkie well, left the building? I, 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 I agree with Ryan. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, the process was Hinky's idea. He exposed, he exposed the loophole, like in the system where he intentionally, I mean, he intentionally lost games to get, you know, high lottery picks because as he figured out, you know, before Hinky came on the scene, you know, you had the Doug Collins Sixers with that kind of like motley crew of players who would go, you know, 42 and, and 40 every year and be the eighth seed and lose. And, they weren't bad enough to get into the lottery and they weren't good enough to really advance anywhere in the playoffs. So Hinky figured out, well, you know, the only two ways you get better in the NBA is either you, you hit on, you know, high draft picks, lottery picks, or you sign big star free agents. Well, the, the big free agents don't come free very often in the NBA. You, you see maybe one or two guys a year or every couple of years. So, Hanky did something that just annoyed some of the other owners and annoyed Silver, and it, and it led to his. I would clearly argue, I mean, as an outsider, it was unfair. I mean, where where does the NBA get off coming in and telling the Sixers, "Hey, stop, you know, stop doing this," and and, and it's nothing illegal. I mean, they were they were playing by the rules. The NBA just thought the optics looked bad, and then to double down and throw that guy out. And then replace him with the worst GM <laughs> in the NBA. I mean, literally, it can't be understated how bad a GM Colangelo was. I mean, everybody knows about the Fultz deal, but, I mean, it wasn't just that. It was, you know, he made a bunch of bad deals and, and didn't, you know, Hanky set the stage but never got to complete his plan. And then it's not like they brought in Hanky's assistant. They brought in a guy who just botched it i mean just right. absolutely botched it the well now, now look the the in, in terms of um the players that they brought in and that hinky was on the right path i mean there's sam hinky was here from may of 2013 until he wrote his manifesto resignation letter of 13 pages <laughs> in april of 2016 so he he presided over th three drafts yeah three drafts and during that time, he brought in certain players that were certainly, you know, they, they, they define the process, not the least of which is Joel Embiid. And before we, you know, before we put it under, you know, six feet, I'd like to go through 
because I think Hinky, due to the strange way that he left the team and due to the fact that I do think he got a little boned that for some reason the NBA got annoyed that he was just, you know, he was blatant about the fact that he was intentionally losing and this process had already gone on for three years. I do think he got screwed by the NBA forcing essentially another GM to come in and oversee him. But I also think his abrupt leaving of the of the Sixers has kind of put him up on this pedestal in some people's minds. You know, you know the, the phrase, did Sam, did Sam Hinkie die for our sins? People have elevated him almost to like, you know, a god. Like he had this brilliant idea, but he was misunderstood by all these regular NBA guys. And I wonder if the proof is actually there. So that's why I wanted to talk to you about some of the picks. And I'll get you, give you guys both a chance to respond to that. Is Sam Hinkie considered a better GM than he actually was because he walked out under those strange circumstances? Now, let me, and before you answer that, Ryan, let me just consider this. 2013, his picks, MCW, Michael Carter-Williams, the best of, that, of, of those three picks that he had, rookie of the year. Turned around and traded him, though, about a year later, two years later, and not on the team. 2014, the really big year, the really big haul. Joel Embiid, Alfred Payton, who turned into Dario Saric. So you got two great players right there in 14. And then K.J. McDaniels, not with the team. Jeremy Grant was traded later for uh, the rental of Ursan uh, Ilyasova and then a bunch yeah. of other no-names. And then Henke's last draft, 2015, he took what I think was one big mistake in the draft with by taking Okafor. And then again, a, a, you know, you got Rashawn Holmes in that draft too, but nobody knew. But was he on the right path, Ryan, in those first three years? Should should he just have been given the keys and say, keep doing what you're doing? He, I, I think he was on the right path, but I'm going to put an asterisk next to that because he was very upfront. You mentioned it, Josh. He was open and upfront and, and told the fan base, we're going to lose and we're going to be really bad here for the next few years. And we both mentioned acquiring assets. That's all Sam Hinkie cared about. He knew he was going to swing and miss. And that's what I, that's one thing I loved about Sam Hinkie. Because, every, listen, the NBA draft, you can send your scouts down to Africa. You can send your scouts over to Germany. You can you know, follow a guy from the age 10 to the age of 18. You can have all of your advanced analytics and sabermetrics, and you can have your finger on the pulse as well as you can. And a guy can get into the league and get in a bar fight. Mm -hmm. And, you know, next thing you know, he's, you know, in and out of bars and he never plays again. That's, I mean, that's just one example. I don't know why I went the nightlife route, but you don't know, (laughs) you don't know where these guys are going to end up or how they're going to end up. The Golden State Warriors is my example I always use. No one knew Draymond Green, whether you love him or hate him. Draymond Green, in my opinion, is an unbelievable player. The Golden State Warriors didn't know he was going to turn out how he did. Steph Curry, he is now one of the most – he transcended the game of basketball over the past four to six years. They didn't know he was going to turn into the player he did. So my point is the draft is a crapshoot. It's a game of roulette. Sam Hinkie knew it, and he said, I want as many opportunities as I can so when I do miss, I can still land on one or two, and one or two is all you need. So I do think his approach to it was unique and borderline genius, guys. 
Pierre, what do you think? Was he was was it too? I mean, did they pull the plug too early on him? Was it just bad optics well, yeah, for the and, NBA? Yeah, and, and 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 just from my experience, I mean, going back to you know the NBA punishing the Sixers for this, the Celtics did the exact same thing in the two thousands. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Celtics tanked during the mid two thousands. Um, remember, ML Carr was our head coach. You remember those years? <laughs> Do you remember that we signed Dominique Wilkins, thirty-five-year-old Dominique Wilkins, who <laughs> was playing for the Celtics? I mean, the Celtics were terrible. They tanked, and all Ainge did was acquire assets, and they never panned out. And a part of the fan base was going nuts. Like, what's going on? We're just getting for, we're just getting these picks, all these picks, and these young kids. Nothing pans out. And then. He took a chance and gambled and then made those trades for, um, you know, for Ray Allen and for Garnett and it turned into a championship. And and now, you know, Ainge is hailed as a genius because of that. Yeah. But it's the exact same thing. I mean, nothing has changed in the NBA in that, you know, again, you're either signing free agents, which is very difficult to do, or you're acquiring as many assets you can. And you're either going to hope that you hit on them by drafting the right player. Or if you can't, if you remember, you know. The Celtics were supposed to get um, Kev, uh, KD, right? They yeah. were they, they were that was the draft. They were the number one pick in that draft. They fell to five, and they had to get uh, Green, the kid out of out of Georgetown. And he and Ainge flipped that pick and other stuff, and got Ray Allen, and then he flipped uh, Al Jefferson and other picks that we had accumulated, and got Garnett, and it worked out for him. And I think Hinky was on the same path where you saw. You know, Hinky. People criticize Hinky and be like, "Oh, geez, all he drafted was centers. He just drafted centers." Well, Hinky was just drafting the best guys on the board. And I think yeah. at some point, you saw he was pretty good at trading, right? The 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 uh, the, uh, the Michael Carter Williams pick, which was a good pick, you know. And he was smart enough to realize that Michael Carter Williams wasn't that good, and he flipped them immediately, and that turned into that Lakers pick, right? Right. So he was. He, he not only knew what he was doing, but I think he could recognize talent and was adept at. I don't think he just ever got the chance to shape the roster. And, you know, will we ever know for sure? No, but would he have been better than Colangelo? Absolutely. Yeah, it's 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 hard to argue. Now, other key moves that um, I should add for Hinky is he, he traded Drew Holiday for Nerlens Noel. That was one of, the, one of the first big man he brought in. He signed Robert Covington and then later traded him too, but he was one of the key pieces there. And he hired the coach. He hired Brett Brown, who, who yeah. lasted beyond him. So he really had a... He really did put a stamp on the, what the early Sixers were going to look like in those three years, and then 2015 and 2000 in December 2015, Jerry Colangelo was named chairman of basketball operations for some reason, and about a, about a year later, <laughs> oh, I know the reason. Well, you know, Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the NBA man. Yeah, the NBA stepped in and they were the Colangelos are the NBA's puppets. Let's just call it what it was. That's how I look at it. And then you're and look and then after he takes over. Supposedly to bring to make the Sixers more respectable and more competitive. And by the way, do you know I was looking this up today. You know, the first two years of the process, they didn't have the worst league and they weren't they did not have the worst record in the league. Who was worse? There, oh, I, I just looked. There was there was two teams both years. They did not have the worst record <laughs> league. The la- the third year when they really went bad, when they lost like their first eighteen, and they ended up, you know, they they almost threatened the all time record. That's when the NBA said they 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 had enough. Right. Um, Ten and seventy two. Yeah, but there, those first couple years when they were playing with, you know, when they really weren't even trying to win, but all those extra guys were playing hard. They actually were not the statistically the worst team in the year. 
Now, after they got rid of Hinky, though, 2016 really should have been the crowning jewel on the rebuild process. And they brought in the obvious number one, the consensus number one, Ben Simmons. But then the problems, you know, new problems started after that. The uh, following year, they had a, they had a, you know, so they have the, they have the base now of Embiid, Simmons. Um, you got Robert Covington on that team, right? You got Sarge on that team, or maybe Sarge, but yeah, Sarge is still on that team because yeah, they traded him later. Yeah. Now you got an opportunity to complete the starting five or to get, uh, you know, a significant player. In 2017, in my mind, Ryan, this is where it fell apart. And this is where the Sixers can't be let off the hook because they traded within the division to a heated rival, to an all-time rival. They got bamboozled, and then when it was all said and done, they took the wrong guy. I mean, what can you make of Jerry <clears throat> Colangelo in 2017 and going with faults? Just the worst pick ever? Worst, worst draft deal you've ever seen? He got absolutely there's a there's a soundbite that we use on the Tony Bruno show. It's from Stephen A. Smith, where he says, They got hoodwinked, bamboozled, lied, led astray. And it's just classic, ridiculous Stephen A. Smith. But that's that's what happened with the Sixers. Danny Ainge, and I hate to do this as we're sitting alongside a diehard Boston fan, but Danny Ainge is one of the best general managers and front office guys. In all of sports, forget the NBA. And he he completely hoodwinked and bamboozled the Colangelos. I can just imagine that conversation, you know, Danny Ainge picking up the phone. Hey, hey, Jerry, how you doing? How's the family? Good. Okay. Um, hey, listen, you know, that Mark Fultz kid, boy, he can play. And, and you know what, man? We're, we're, we're good, you know, where we're at. You know what? Listen, man, I, I know there's a lot going on in Philadelphia. That Sam Hinkie nonsense. You got a lot to mop up. I'm going to make a trade for you, all right? Oh, really? Thanks, Danny. I mean, that, that's that's essentially what happened. Colangelo trading two first-round picks to move up from three to one. And this isn't a, a lack of depth issue for that draft. You had Lonzo Ball. Yeah. Think of him what you want. But at that time, he was viewed as a potentially legitimate point guard heading into the NBA. You had Markel Fultz. And now you have the next coming of Kobe Bryant and Jason Tatum. So what, if you're Colangelo, that none of that computes. I mean, that is like a, a Madden trade, a video game yeah. trade that just went terribly wrong. What's it, what's unexcusable to me, inexcusable to me, is that a it's in the division, so you don't trust you don't trust the GM within your your division, right? What, they're looking out no. for you. Nobody that never happens. Colangelo had spent most of his career out in the West. Uh, you know, maybe he just maybe he just didn't live out. Maybe he just thought like, oh, maybe Danny Ainge was on the welcome to the you know to the Eastern <laughs> Conference like you know band committee. But I just like it's how gullible do you have to be to walk in there and trade with like an all time rival. And yet he still, Pierre, he still had the opportunity to make the right pick. How does the scouting department miss that? Well, and again, it's it's not like it's 1965, right? Where where you only, you know, you have to rely on, you know, you know, your old scout who like just takes the train into town and was like, I was out in the West Coast and I watched a couple of Washington games. There's a thing called YouTube, right? There's goddamn YouTube out there. I remember, I still remember. When the Celtics got the number one pick, right, and, and and the Celtics community was all like, and that was the buzz, Fultz, Fultz, Fultz. 
And so you went on YouTube, right? You go on YouTube and you type in Marco Fultz. And these people, these, you know, these kids, these college students now put together highlight reels, yeah. right? So you, it's all fun. The Fultz highlight reel was the lamest highlight <laughs> reel I've ever seen. It was mostly him like dribbling around and making a couple of dunks. And then you're like, and he was on a terrible Washington team. And you're like, a okay, terrible well, team, terrible, terrible, terrible team. Washington team. And you watched it and you and you were like, OK, you know, he's a he's a decent sized guard with a with a good handle who can't really shoot. I mean, and, and maybe he's going to be a nice NBA player, but that's the number one overall pick. Yeah. Like, that's what I'm getting. I got we won the lottery. We're going to pick that guy. This is the this is the winning lottery ticket. This guy. <laughs> that's yeah. what we won. Sure? Our prize is Are this guy. Sure? I mean, <laughs> Once I saw that, I mean, I watched it over and over again to try and get excited, and I was like, I can't get excited about Markel Fultz. But, you, you, know, you know, it's funny. It makes me think of a time the Sixers had the number one pick, too, with, with Iverson. Now, and I remember this well. Here's, I mean, here's the difference. I don't. I mean, I was probably more of a college basketball fan back then, but when they said Iverson, it was, it was sort of like when Simmons. It was like, I knew who he was. I had seen him. My, he passed my eye test. I had no problem. I'm like, yeah, he's the best yeah. player. He's the best player in college basketball. I've I've seen enough of him. I'm convinced of that. When right. they're saying they got the number one pick and they're going to go with Fultz, I had to go look for articles <laughs> to find out who the kid was. <laughs> and then I'm like, you know, I'm like, talk myself into it. Well, you know, they get paid to do this for a living. They must know. <laughs> right? right, right? I mean, they must know yeah. what they're doing. No. It's it's unbelievable, man. It, the only difference I would say now, like from back then, Josh and Pierre, is like now a lot of like for a semester, and then they're running off to the NBA. I, I know guys left early for a while now, even dating back to the Iverson days. But now it's just oh, there's a seven footer from Lithuania. Let's take a right. shot on him. Like there's a guy that played freshman year. He sat for three months with an ankle injury. He still. That you know, it will still take a shot, and that's the craziest part. Like I, I feel like Colangelo was just trying to act like he was doing something that no one else realized, and it was just an idiotic move. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that just it, it just it, it it it's just a painful thing to watch when you get hoodwinked by like your big brother, and like he steals mm-hmm. you know all your marbles. And then you got to sit yeah. at the dinner table for the rest of your life and watch him count your marbles the way that we got to watch, you know, Jason Tatum for the next 10 years when, you know, I guess hindsight's twenty twenty, but isn't it he exactly what the Sixers would need right now? A guy that can no. score and handle the ball and defend? Yeah, um, I mean, imagine, imagine Tatum, you know, paired with Simmons and Embiid now for the next 10 years, right? I just loved. I mean, I just love Tatum. I just loved. I can't believe they missed on that guy, so and and it hurts. To, it hurts to think that we're going to have to watch him for that long. Now, Ryan, I had a question for you about the process and about Brett Brown. Brett Brown, do you like Brett Brown? Do you not like Brett Brown? What was your opinion of him? My, my opinion on Brett Brown, guys, is this: number one, he was here for way too long. He overstayed his welcome. I mean, he's the guy at the dinner party. It's like it's midnight, dude. Like, why? <laughs> it's it's only you here. Everyone else left. <laughs> he, he he overstayed his welcome. I mean, we're out of wine. It's time to go home. But he, he also got dealt a very bad hand. Like, as far as his perception from the fans in the city, you you look at Sam Hinkie and why he brought in Brett Brown. He was just a, 
a middle guy until they actually rolled out a product that they wanted. And then Sam Hinkie left and we already went through all that. But the new regime, multiple new regimes, decided to keep Brett Brown around for God knows what reason. But you look at you look at what Brett Brown had to deal with in 17 and 18. There was one roster with Sarich and Rocco and Embiid and Simmons. Then all of a sudden you have a new roster with the following year, Jimmy Butler, Tobias Harris, J.J. Redick. Then they leave. Like he hasn't had one roster for one season in the last three years when they were finally competing. You know, since 2017, this team has become legitimate in the Eastern Conference. This season, for example, he only had a starting lineup 19 out of 65 games. Now, I'm not giving Brett Brown a pass. He was he was drowning, and he needed to get out of the situation, and I think the locker room needed a change, and he needed a change. But he's dealt with a lot of variations of this roster. He hasn't had any consistency because he's had multiple GMs. They've made some crazy trades. They've done a lot of crazy things, and I'm sure we'll get to that in a minute. But he was really dealt a difficult hand to try and be successful in arguably one of the most difficult cities to be successful at in all of sports, Philadelphia. And he really never had a shot. The roster, especially this year, made absolutely zero sense. You can bring in Phil Jackson. You can resurrect John Wooden. I don't think those guys are being successful with the roster that they had over the past year and a half. Yeah, I I question a lot whether he was the right guy for this team, and, and I think that ultimately, like all coaches, they get fired like this. They stop listening to him. I think they quit on him a little bit. Interestingly, yeah. Pierre, I looked this up while we're, while Ryan was talking. 2013, Sixers were 19 and 63. The Bucks were 15 and 67, so they were worse. Wow. And then 2014-15, the Knicks were worse in their own division. The Knicks only had 17 wins to the Sixers' 18 wins. And I'm looking at, and oh, and the, the and the Knicks were trying, right? Yeah, the Knicks were trying, and the and the Timberwolves had 16 wins that year. So the first two years of the process, and then of course the third year, they really did bottom out. But you could say they were trying. The coach was trying. All these scrubs that he was coaching were playing hard. Ultimately, though, he got, he lost his job because the good players that he got seemed to not want to play hard for him. At the end, if you ask me, um, now Pierre, do you think they should have? Because I I think this. truthfully I kind of think this it it was weird with Brett Brown because his two best players weren't ready to play the year that they picked them but when they when they did get Simmons when they were ready to be a good team you think that would have been a good time to make a coach switch right there notwithstanding the fact that he was this good soldier for the for the Sixers and he stood out there and he answered all the questions was like 2016 should that have been a good time to maybe bring somebody in to mold Simmons and Embiid together, I'm just curious. What do you think about that? Yeah, Pierre? I mean, I, I think so because you you've seen. I mean, you can you can make. I mean, you can make excuses, and he did get dealt a bad hand, and he had mixed mixed rosters and the tanking and all that stuff. And he's and by all accounts, everybody thinks he's a great guy, really nice guy. Everybody loves him. Um, but when it when you know when the rubber hits the road, there are I think twice you saw it against the Celtics, right? Twice you saw in, in the playoffs, twice in the last three years, when he was matched up against a guy like Brad Stevens, right? Who's a very good X's and O's guy. Brett Brown just didn't have it, right? I mean, Brett Brown is not, you know, not, I, I, he's again, he's a nice guy. 
not only is he not a good motivator, I don't think he's a very good tactical coach, right? Yeah. Um, you know, the one thing I can always say about Stevens watching Celtics games is that, like, he's he's good when he knows how to, when to call timeouts, and then out of a timeout, they always have a good play, which they almost always score on, or at least get a really good shot. And I would watch Sixers games, and the Sixers never did that. Sixers would call timeout, and they and just as often as have a timeout, they would have a turnover or a shot clock violation. They just... You know, I don't think Brad, and he couldn't adjust on the fly, I don't think. And I just saw that you saw Stevens coach circles around him head to head. And we could go back a couple of years ago where you could argue that the Sixers roster was a lot better than the Celtics roster mm -hmm. in what year was that, 16, 16 or 17? Yeah, 17, um, 18. Yeah, I mean, so I, I think he was kind of like, he was the classic Doug Collins type of coach, which is he's a good guy to get with young guys. He's, he's going to be good for the young guys. He's going to. He's going to get you through those rough patches and get you to be like a 500-ish type of team. But when you finally have the pieces in place and you're like, okay, now we need to go out and now we need to be in the Eastern Conference Finals, or at least that's our goal every year, you need somebody who's a next level up than, than Brown. I don't think he was ever going to be that guy. No, I agree with you. I don't think he was in there. I don't think he was. I never imagined he would be there at the end, to be honest with you. But I also never imagined that all the tumultuous stuff between Simmons and you know, I just I, I had nothing but high hopes when they got Simmons, and I and I thought to myself, wow, Simmons and Bede on the same floor, you know, they're going to be dynamite. You know, how can, how can they not be dynamite? Where do they go from here, Ryan? Do, I mean, who is you? Do you have a short list? You're not an NBA GM, but do you have a, a wish list for who you'd like to see coach the Sixers? I think Pierre's example uh, of Doug Collins was spot on because. I'm going to answer this by bringing that up because there was no accountability. And I think Brad Brown was a lot like Doug Collins and he's a fun guy. The locker room's loose. You can do what you want, but these young guys need accountability. They need someone they can look to and respect. So with that being said, it needs to be a guy that's been there and a name that's been thrown around a lot is Tyrone Lou. Now, disclaimer, I don't know if that guy can coach. <laughs> he's coach LeBron James. <laughs> He's coach LeBron James, and I don't know what he – LeBron James' name holds a lot of weight. You can love him or hate him. There's a lot of controversy around LeBron right now for a lot of reasons. But that name holds some weight. A lot of guys in the NBA respect him. So if it's not Tyrone Liu, a Jason Kidd, been there oh, in locker Jason Kidd, oh, time. my God. Please, Listen, please, please don't say Jason Kidd's going to be our coach. Jason please, Kidd, just for the entertainment value. I I know he's been through you know his his deal of issues, and I'm not saying I it should be Jason Kidd, but it should be someone. It should be a player. It should be a guy that's a Hall of Fame point guard. It can get in Ben Simmons' ear and be like, "Yo, what are you doing here? If the guy sags ten feet off you, you better figure out how to pull up and take a jump shot. If not, you're going to sit on the bench. I don't care if it's you, you Pierre. It's, and you, you can have the perception of certain guys. We can all have the perception of them. But the reality is, as long as the guys in the locker room can get on board with the hire, I'm okay with it. So that's a that's a long winded. I don't know, but I think it has to be a guy that's played and is now coaching. And those are just two names that I think you can relate to a lot of different guys and branch off those names with that. All right, and let me ask you, let's let's wrap up this Sixers conversation with this, Pierre. I know we talk about it all the time in the office about trading one of these guys.
But let's let's assume the hypothetical that the coach comes in and he doesn't want to trade these guys. Do you see another coach making because I making Ben Simmons a point guard like a like a more effective point guard or do you see? Oh it, God, no. no! I mean, I don't. You know, again, I got two words for you: Larry Brown. Bring back Larry Brown. <laughs> I would take him in a heartbeat. Talk about good plays out of a timeout. Sure, I take him. He's only but, about I ninety mean, years old now, right? I mean, where is Larry Brown? Yeah, he's got about twelve months. He's 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 available for interviews. I he is av- he's that. taking phone calls. Right. But I mean, my personal opinion is I've seen enough of the two of them that I would I would seriously consider if if I could get value, I would trade one of them. Right. I mean, my personal preference, I would trade Embiid. If I could trade Embiid for Devin Booker. You know, I would do it, right? Um, oh. I don't know if I don't know if the Suns would do it. The Suns might tell you no, right? Suns might say, I don't know, an injury-prone center. You know, we've got a center. We don't really want him. You know, we're not going to give you Booker. But, I mean, I think that the Sixers are going to have the idea that they're going to keep the two together, that it's the coaching, it's the scheme. They bring in a new coach, and, and they'll fix everything. If that's true, hey, maybe, maybe. But I, I, I've seen enough. I watch enough Sixers games that I I just don't know. I'm skeptical that the two of them work together, and I would look to move one of them. Well, it's interesting that you would trade the uh, the better player. I don't understand why you would get rid of a Hall of Fame big man. But... He's always defending big men. You just, you just, you just, all, no matter what, you will defend the big man, no matter what. Just like, oh, the poor guy never gets a fair shake. Pierre, Josh, Pierre said, you know what? I'd trade both of them. i trade Ben and Joel Embiid. Let's, I think they just need a full overhaul there. <laughs> I think they just go super small, like four guards and a forward. <laughs> well, guys, I will say this, Josh. Go ahead. I just add one thing before we wrap up. Yeah. Because we talked, you asked me about Brett Brown and the next coach. Mm-hmm. I, it's that is that ain't the answer. And like all these fans that are saying, "Oh, Ding Dong the Witch is dead because Brett Brown was fired," he was the problem. I think he should have been fired after he got massively outcoached against Brad Stevens the first time, where they lost three, four uh, one to the Celtics, and the big adjustment was T.J. McConnell for one game. You look at this roster; no one can shoot the basketball. It's true. You have an aging Al Horford. Tobias Harris has a max contract. He makes more money. Then Kawhi Leonard, LeBron James, Chris Paul, Paul George. Are you kidding me? You gave that dude a max? Alton Brand brought in his old friend and Al Horford. They have no shooters. You get rid of J.J. Redick. You get rid of Jimmy Butler. This team, no one can save this team right now. They need to figure out a way to unload contracts that no team wants. I mean, this organization is really in the mud, and I don't don't know how they're going to get out of it. I don't care who the next head coach is. Yeah, you're you know you're right about that. It doesn't. It, it it's funny how it always comes back to the the dollars and cents in a lot of pro sports teams, the leagues, but especially the NBA, where you know these these contract salaries are just sort of established through collective bargaining, and you just slot guys into it. The Sixers have now kind of pushed in all their chips on essentially four players, and they got about four players that don't seem to know really how to play together, or, or we don't know whether they can play together. And I guess a lot yeah. lot depends on whether Simmons ever fulfills his potential as a point guard, you know, like a, a, his full potential. I mean, he's an amazing player, but there's something about that combination that just does not work, and I'm not sure what it is. 
Well, um, Ryan Rothstein, we are, we've been so happy to have you on the show with us. We were wondering if you had a few minutes, if you wanted to sit and have a friendly competition against Pierre in uh, a friendly quizzo game. Should only take about another five minutes or so. Are you up for it, sir? Oh, absolutely. Okay, well, here, I'll explain the rules real quick. And I also have to warn you, Pierre's extremely good at this game. He's got a lifetime <laughs> winning percentage of roughly uh, 662. Um, we have to look it up, but he is he is tough to beat. Uh, the, the rules, as explained by me, there will be five and only five questions. Um, you do not shout out the questions. You can write them down or just keep them in your head. If you have a pad and pencil, just keep yourself. And... It'll be real simple. I will ask you the four questions. You write down your answers, and then we'll go and we will reveal them. Each correct answer to each question or subsection of a question, and that will become clear when I start reading the questions, is worth 10 points. So I'll just tell you how many points everything is worth. Do you agree to those terms, Ryan? Uh, I guess so, yes. Thank you. Pierre, are you ready to defend your title? Yes, I am. All right, here we go. This is Quizzo, special guest Ryan Rothstein joining us. I've uh, been talking all hour about the Sixers and Celtics, and in, in honor of him, I did a little bit more research on the Sixers and Celtics. I'm calling this Quizzo, by the numbers, Sixers-Celtics. Question number one. The last two players... To wear the number three for the Philadelphia 76ers include a former MVP and another guard who left the Sixers in 1993 to sign with the Celtics. So who are the last two three, two players to wear number three? One is pretty obvious, number three. The other one... Signed with left the Sixers in nineteen ninety three and then signed with the Celtics. He also played with the Supersonics. So I'm looking for both of those players. As a bonus, write down the second Sixers player, the number the the the, sec, the the one before the famous one. He was traded for an he was acquired by um the Sixers trading this other shooting guard who wore number 33 for the Sixers. What shooting guard in the 90s wore number 33 and he was traded for one of those number three players? This is a terrible, terribly worded question. So if you get any (laughs) of that right, if you get any of that right, I mean, if there was a judge here, I would be objected. I'd have to rephrase that. But if you get any of those questions right, I will give you a bonus point. All right. Number two. Question number two. The number two is retired by both the Sixers and the Celtics. One is for a player, and the other is for a former coach. Name them. A former? Okay, so it's a player and a former coach? One. one. The number two is retired by one organization for a player. The other organization, for some reason, chose number two. To honor a former coach, a legendary former coach for that organization. All right. And as a uh, bonus, not that it has anything to do with that, 
But in 1986, as a bonus question, Pierre, the Sixers traded the number one overall pick to Cleveland in exchange for $750,000 and this forward. That's your bonus question. What you? 1986. What year, 1986. You know I was born in 1990, right? I didn't say that this was a 1990s and up uh, <laughs> quiz. This is testing the long-term knowledge. Your father and your uh, uncle sure. should have told you something of it. They should have. Yeah. Let me see if I can make that easier. No, I'm joking, but you're never going to get that. Pierre will get that. That that's the test, Pierre. But but if you were alive in '86, I remember this trade, Pierre. You remember that, right? Um, I have a guess. I mean, I was too busy focusing on the Celtics championship and the death of Len Bias. <laughs> well, the Sixers were the Sixers were worried about that because they made they made a couple big deals in '86. That really yeah. reshaped their franchise for the negative. But we'll get to that later. <laughs> Question number three. Both the Sixers and the Celtics have a uniform retired for their former arena announcers. Name the former arena announcers for the Sixers at the old Spectrum. Who used to who used to announce Dr. J. Julius Oh, and man. a famous, you'll never get the six, the Celtics guy, but Pierre might. I doubt it. So if you get him, about that, the, I'll give the, you the, the stadium announcer, right? <laughs> yeah, the in, the PA announcer inside. Oh, yeah. okay. The I got PA no announcer. idea. You know that. No idea. And and there's a chance Ryan may get the Philly one. This is like the this is, you know I did a quiz once we did a quiz once Ryan where about horse racing and I don't think anybody got any of the answers right so this may be right up there with that. It's, it's going to be a low scoring quiz up. Pierre's going to win with half a point on this one. Okay. Yeah. Number four. Drafted in 1993, with the second overall pick in the draft. This player for the Sixers lasted only two seasons before the Sixers traded him to New Jersey for a package of players that included Derek Coleman. So this is a former number one pick of the Sixers in 1993, number two overall as a bonus. What did this rather tall man, what number did he wear for the hometown Philadelphia 76ers. He's the only one that have ever worn that number for the Sixers. All my research is from probasketballreference.com. Okay. Time for the reveal. Oh, man. Question number one. Let's go to our guest, Ryan. The last two players we were looking for, the last two Sixer players to have worn the number three. Oh, man, I have Allen Iverson. Allen Iverson is one of them. Do you have a guess for the other one that went to the Celtics? I remember this guy pretty well. What year was it again? 1993. 93, man. Only other guy before Iverson to wear that three. Let's go to Pierre Latour for the steal. No no guess? I'm going to (laughs) say 
Dana Barrows. That is correct. Yeah. Austin uh, College, baby. Dana Barrows and Allen Iverson, the last two number threes. Uh, the the poorly word, worded portion of that question was who did they trade Dana, Dana Barris for? Who did they trade to acquire him? Who did the Sixers trade? Who wore number thirty three for the Sixers? I thought this was interesting because I remember this player too. I I had Sharon Wright. Did he ever even play for the Sixers? No, no, that's a good guess. Oh. But he was he was drafted, but then traded. This guy was okay. a shooting guard. Ryan for the steal. In '93, yeah, he went to a, he went know. to one of those Midwest colleges. He was a shooting guard. He never kind of panned out, but he played in the NBA for a little. He had an alliterative name, H H. Oh man, I don't know Hershey Hawkins. How about the uh, Hawk? Hawkins. You don't remember Hershey Hawkins? Uh, wow, he really wasn't. I know good. the name now that you said. <laughs> yeah. All right, so if Great you got career. any of those three names right, give yourself ten points. For each name that you got right. That's how we do it. Okay. Number two. The number two is retired by both franchises. Who is the number two that was retired for the Sixers? Let's go to Pierre Latour. Well, that's Moses Malone. That is correct. It wasn't They didn't retire his number until last year after he was dead, right? <laughs> Classic. <laughs> I think Moses well, owed the Sixers some money. He won a championship for you. Then he died, and they're like, oh, you know, by the way, if you, if the family, if you're still around, why don't you come on down? We'll have a ceremony. <laughs> I thought that was a nice touch by the Sixers. The classy organization. They certainly are. So number two for the Sixers is correct. Who was the, who was the legendary owner for the Celtics, Pierre? I mean, I'm going to – I have no idea, so I'm just going to say Red Auerbach. That is correct. Yeah. I mean, I get well, I, I didn't correct. even know that. I didn't know that they've assigned Red Auerbach number two. Oh, he's got oh, and Brian had it too. He's proven it. He's there holding he goes. up. The he's sign. holding it up. All right. So they there's no blood on that one. All square after uh well, I think Pierre is a, is a slight lead after two. Let's go to question number three. Sixers and Celtics have retired uniforms for their former announcers, which I thought was strange. Uh, Ryan, who was the Sixers announcer? Famous, famous Sixer announcer. I don't have it, man. I don't know. You guys are going to get zero blanking. on this. Let's go to Pierre Latour for the steal, or give me. I have no idea. I can hear the guy's voice. Yeah, I mean, I've heard that a million times. I couldn't tell you who it is. Dave, no idea. how about that, Dave Zinkoff for the Sixers? Uh, I still have never heard of him. Well, you know, you, you, Dave you, Zinkoff. Yeah, you'd have to okay. be a little bit older and have to grown up right. around here, but. Our, right. many, many of our listeners will remember Dave Zinkoff. And I remember the just the name, Pierre, of the Celtics guy. But do you remember Which who this was? Celtics? I don't know. I Johnny like Most. It. No, but Johnny Most is a radio guy. Well, that's what they had on them while they, were, well, they retired. See, that's, from right. <laughs> that's wrong. It's not even right. You know what? Hold Johnny on. I'm going, we're wait, 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 wait. I'm play-by-play on the, on the radio broadcast. He was not the in-house guy. I'm checking with the competition committee right now, and they're saying that you do not get any points for Johnny Most and that uh, the rolling is fine. Now, you may be right there, but I think it's close enough. Well, I know I'm right. I, used, I grew up listening to Johnny Most on the radio. It's just like, who does your radio, right? It's the radio guy. That's he is not. He was not the PA announcer. If he was the PA announcer, you guys would have been super pissed because Johnny <laughs> Most was the biggest homer ever on the radio, ever. It was almost annoying. <laughs> 
Well, uh, we're going to call that a draw because I don't. I'm not sure either one of you really. That's true. I wouldn't have gotten. I wouldn't have gotten. Yeah. Now, number four, 1993, the second overall pick for the Sixers. Ryan, again, this is a little bit before your time, but you may, your dad may have spoken about this guy. He was a big Mormon. He was very religious, <laughs> and he was Mormon. very tall. So I, I could be completely off here. I initially wrote Jerry Stackhouse, but then you said he was very tall. Right. So I put I put Sean Bradley. That is correct, Sean Bradley. Yeah! Let's go. That's proofs in the pudding, baby. Sean Bradley <laughs> is correct. The number famous number that Sean Bradley wore. Do you remember what he wore? Seventy-seven. Close. He wore seventy-six. Oh. So close. He looked like such a clown. I saw him play once when after they drafted him, and he was so tall. And I remember one time the ball yeah. got like kicked like like down to the other end of the floor during a stoppage, and he ran down and picked it up and like walked it back to the referee. And I'm like, I've never seen an NBA player do that in my life. Yeah. Like, there's got to be something the, wrong what, with this kid. I was like 12. At one the of the least athletic. For athletes I have ever seen in my life. That's, an, believe that's another him, scouting him department fail Bowl. right there. Yeah. Him and Manu Bowl are two of the least athletic people I've ever seen in professional <laughs> sports. The Sixers had them both. <laughs> they really like shot blockers, the Sixers. All right. So we are through four questions. I honestly don't know what the score is. Um, let's. Uh, you, were you guys keeping score after four yeah. points? What do you have, Pierre? I think I've got 10, 20, 30, 40. I think I have 50. Okay, 50. And what about you, Ryan? I have 40. I got Iverson, Malone, uh, Red Arbach, and Bradley. Great. I love it. Because for final quizzo, the rule is you can bet all of your money. Okay? So for right. one final question, all right, this is it. For all the money out there, Bringing it back to the process, which we've been talking about. The final quizzo question is this. Starting with Nick Young in 2013, a total of 10 Sixer players have worn the number one uniform. So since 2013, I thought this was pretty interesting. 10 players have worn number one. Including somebody on the roster this year. I'll give you a little extra hint. I'm looking for the last two players, the most recent players who have worn the number one, and we're going to play, give you a little time to think about it, and then we'll have the reveal. Hold on, hold on. Well, what a great time we've had here with our special guest, Ryan Rothstein and Pierre, once again showing he's just a really tough competitor in trivia. 
Um, <laughs> a lot fun, of useless facts. A lot of useless facts <laughs> up there in that lawyer brain of his. Um, starting with Nick Young in 2013, who wore number one. Man, the, the, a lot of these kids today, I guess they like to wear number one. So, I mean, that's 10 players in seven years have selected the number one for the Sixers. Ryan Rothstein. Name the last two players on the Sixers roster to wear that number. I got Mike Scott. That is correct. Michael Scott is one. And I really struggled with the second one. Man. Well, like, let, I me give you, let me give you a little bit of a hint. Okay. No longer on the roster, obviously. And he was part of one of the more recent, uh, probably the most recent trade. And he was a promising, very promising player that unfortunately they had to give up and send somewhere out of the, the division. Okay, that's as many, that's as much as I can give you. Oh, man. I remember... What year was the trade? Do you, can you give me that? Yes. Um, can you give what's me his last name? <laughs> his last name rhymes with... Now, the, the trade was, I believe, two seasons ago. So not this year. Uh, Maybe 2018. No, it was last season. No, I'm sorry. It was last season. It was last it season. It was last season not that shakeup that brought us yeah. our current roster. It's not Dario Saric. It's not TJ McConnell, is it? It's uh, no. We got somebody. We had. We got back from them as somebody who is a starter for us in that trade. Pierre's chomping at the pit. Oh right my now. God! Not <laughs> what? Not Robert Covington. He wore thirty-three. It's not Bobby Covington. He was a. He was. A, he was. <laughs> Double three. I don't know, man. I don't know, man. I'm going to say I don't know. Can't get this. Damn now, it. Pierre for the steal. Uh, I had I had Mike Scott as well that from is this correct. year. And I've now crossed out multiple names based on your vague hints. So I'm going to guess. So it was somebody, it's somebody they traded recently for a current starter on the team? Yes. For a current starter on the team. If I told you the division or where they went, you would get it no, instantly. No, no, don't tell me. I just give me one second. I just want to try and think of the roster again real quick. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. I got it. I swear to God. Let's go it. back to Ryan for the steal. <laughs> go ahead. It's not Landry Shaman. It is Landry oh Shaman. Oh. Landry Shaman. <laughs> Landry oh Shamit wore the Landry number Shammett. one. I tell you what, that was interesting. You want to know? So I'll tell you all this. A lot of processors wore it, starting with Nick Young. Then it was Michael Carter Williams, if you remember, before he changed. He wore number one. Glenn Robinson, JaVale McGee, Ish Smith, Tony Roten, TJ oh. McConnell. Justin Anderson, Landry Shamit, and Mike Scott. I oh, that's, that's wow. an all-star team right there. That is an all-star <laughs> team. <laughs> so the final oh, score then, I believe, coming from behind, 
we have a we have, so. a we have a new winner we have a yeah for the first time in a while ryan congratulations <laughs> congratulations wow nice pull with the landry shaman I pulled that one out of nowhere, man. Wow. I I'd miss like Landry Shaman. He's one of those guys parents. I wish we had back. <laughs> you know? It, I know. That yeah. was one of those draft picks where, like, they surprised you, and it's like, oh, my God, they actually got something right. He looks like he can really play. And they, 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 they couldn't hold on to him. Well, at least we got Tobias Harris for the next five years for, you know, for yeah. $30 million a year. $32 million a year. It's a good deal. <laughs> <laughs> well, Right, I've taken up enough of your time. We really appreciate you joining us. Uh, we appreciate your insight. You can listen to Ryan and Tony Bruno on Sirius XM Radio. Um, find them anywhere you can find Sirius or the Tony Bruno Show and the Dan Patrick uh, Network. Uh, Ryan, we're so happy and glad that you joined us. Thank you so much for being here. We hope you had a good time. I had an absolute man. Thank asking me to come on i hope you guys had uh some fun with me on as well and uh, you know go sixers right Pierre. oh yeah go sixers oh Can't real wait. quick now now that our favorite team is i was going to ask you this who who is who's the favorite in your in your mind don't say the celtics but i mean who, who do you think <laughs> here don't say, say the celtics. celtics say somebody other than the celtics ryan who do you like in the nba i'll tell you what i really like the miami heat out of the east and the clippers are the real deal uh, you got to think the Clippers. Although everything with Kobe, can't you just see LeBron standing up there, like saying, "This one's for you, Kobe." After everything that happened, but um, I, I, I think it's the Clippers at the end of the day. If I was a betting man, which I am, Pierre, <laughs> I, I'm really worried about the next series for the Celtics in Toronto. I think Toronto has kind of flown under the radar all year. I think they're really good. I could see Toronto coming out of the East. The West, I don't. I mean, I hate. I hate to admit. I mean, I. I thought the Lakers maybe were in a little bit of trouble, but I think they. They just feel like one of those teams that had that early scare, and they and they righted the ship, and they're gonna. They're kind of cruise now. I, I'm worried about the Clippers. I mean, Doncic might beat them single handedly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, so and and Paul George has looked awful. I mean, Paul George has looked absolutely terrible. Yeah. So, if yeah. I had to guess right now, I'd say I'd say Lakers, Toronto, and. You know, then I have to be a Toronto fan, right? I can't believe Toronto could make it to the NBA <laughs> Finals again yeah. after losing Kawhi Leonard. But, you know, maybe they're just a hell of a lot better team than I ever gave them credit for. They're certainly proven it again this year. Um, I just think the NBA wants the Lakers and, and LeBron to eventually win at some point, and so why not this year? Um, but yeah. once again, I don't know anything about basketball. I was all on board with putting uh, – I was listening to the podcast – I was all on board with moving Ben Simmons to the four spot, and I was listening to my reasoning, and I'm like, man, you sound like an idiot. <laughs> that's, that's gr the greatest thing is that we've kept all these podcasts for posterity. <laughs> so forever we can go back and listen to all your terrible takes. Right. It goes, exactly. <laughs> it just goes to show you what my take is worth. Not much is the answer. But we hope you've had fun listening us to us tonight. Thanks again to Ryan Rothstein for joining us. Coming up this week. Pennsylvania Attorney General Josh Shapiro joins Pierre and I in studio. We will be talking election, police reforms, much, much more. You don't want to miss it. Become a subscriber today and tell your friends to also subscribe to Justice for All. Thanks for listening.